Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. That beloved chapter of many. And let's take up a few verses that are found here. In Romans chapter 8. I appreciate knowing that Romans 8 is one of the favorites of several of you. And it is a delightful chapter. As the apostle turns to us Gentiles, leaves the law beside us, away from us and tells us what great things the Lord has done for us, is doing, and shall do through His Spirit, which is the main thrust of this particular chapter. I'd like to read to you verses 9 through 14. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. A great deal of emphasis and mention and repetition in these verses about the Spirit of God. It's as if Paul had read John 14 and 15. It's as if Paul had read Psalm 51. Whether Paul had read those passages of Scripture or not, we know he had read Psalm 51, the Holy Spirit gave him the same wisdom and the same understanding of these spiritual mysteries that the men before him had. What promises to have the God of heaven dwelling in us? That is an unbelievable concept. There is no heathen religion that in the imaginations of men has come close to Christianity. To have Jehovah, I am that I am, dwelling inside us. David mentioned it in Psalm 51. John wrote of it extensively in John 14 and 15. Paul assumes it. Here in Romans chapter 8, of everyone that's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we take up with the ninth verse. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The presence of the Holy Spirit is very important for us to know that we are God's elect and that we are Jesus Christ's sheep and saved in the everlasting covenant. If we look back at the last three verses before our ninth verse, we saw in verses 6 through 8 that there was a contrast being made between those that minded spiritual things and followed the Spirit of God and those that minded the flesh and carnal things and described it as the road to death. So it said in verse 6, to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
if our minds are affected and set on carnal things, that is, things of our body, that is, lustful things, that is, things of this world, that is the road to eternal death. That is the evidence of a reprobate. It says of reprobates in the Bible, God is not in all their thoughts. Their thoughts instead are upon things of this life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Looks, body, health, family, school, grades, car, home, finances, promotion, politics. Your mind is on those things and set on those things instead of spiritual things. And it's the evidence of a soul that's dead and it's on its way to hell. Because it doesn't regard the God of heaven and the things that are in heaven and the things of the Spirit of God. And it said in verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's why it's going to hell. You make yourself God's enemy by minding carnal things. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. An unregenerate man who is only in the flesh... He does not have a spirit part. He never does what is right. No matter how noble the world may think his actions, they are displeasing in the sight of God. That man is on his way to hell. That's what these three verses are describing. And because his natural man is not subject to the law of God, yea, it can't be subject to the law of God. So then he can never please God. So he is the enemy of God. And hell is the perfect place for him. And we put ourselves in that category by the evidence in our lives when we mind the things of this life more than the things of heaven. But in opposition to that description of someone on their way to hell, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now this is where we need to rightly divide the word of truth or we're going to end up in doctrinal shame. Were the Roman saints in the flesh? Hold on. Just hold your horses. It says they weren't. But ye are not in the flesh. Were the Roman saints in the flesh? Did they still have a flesh body? Absolutely, yes, they did. If they didn't have a flesh body, they weren't going to be able to read Paul's epistle. Because they wouldn't have two eyes to do it. Were the Roman saints still in the flesh? And that they had within them what Paul said he still had within him. And that was a law in his members that he called his flesh in chapter 7 that kept him from doing the things that God wanted him to do perfectly. Did they still have that? This is how we rightly divide the word of truth. We look at what it says, ruling out what it cannot possibly mean, and come to this conclusion. But ye are not in the flesh... But in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. When the Spirit of God comes into a man and dwells in him, whether it's by regeneration, faith, baptism, or obedience, and all of those are progressive states of having a greater influence of the Spirit of God in your life, when that happens, the flesh doesn't disappear. It's just that now there are two natures in the man. A once-born man only has one nature. A twice-born man has two natures, and they oppose each other. We understand it this way with these two elliptical words added. But ye are not in the flesh only, but in the Spirit also, if so be 
that the Spirit of God dwell in you. That is how we understand this part of the Bible. We know they still had flesh bodies in Rome, and we know that they were still dealing with their flesh nature, because the rest of the New Testament is going to tell saints in the same condition that they are to mortify the flesh. Well, how can you put something to death that doesn't exist? Because it did exist, but they had two natures, and so because they had two natures, they were not in the condition of those men in verses 6 through 8 that could not please God. They could please God. They could be subject to the law of God. They could mind spiritual things and not just carnal things. I hope the explanation is sufficient. No wonder Peter said of Paul's writings that he wrote many things hard to understand that they that are unlearned do rest to their own destruction. So we've got to rightly divide the word of truth or we end up ashamed. And that is how we divide this verse. Ye are not in the flesh only, like the people described in verses 6 through 8, but in the Spirit also, if so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And let me say it the second time. A once-born man has only one nature. A twice-born man has two natures. And those two natures means that he can both sin and do righteousness. The one nature means he can never do righteousness. He only follows the flesh. He's only carnally minded. God is not in all his thoughts. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your spirit. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. But ye are not in the flesh only, but in the spirit also. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. You have a different kind of existence than those men I described in verses 7 and 8 before this passage. You're different. You can be subject to the law of God. You can please God. And it is your duty to do so as he will progress and teach us. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in a man, it is by God's choice to place himself in that man. God only does that for the elect of God, and he does that at the moment of regeneration. We call it the vital phase of salvation, meaning we have God's vitality within us. We have his strength. We have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus within us. We have a new principle and power within us. We have a new person within us, and it's the Holy Spirit of God, and it first occurs... At regeneration, Jesus taught Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, verses 6 through 8. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We have two natures, one from our first parents that David said in Psalm 51 was conceived in iniquity, shaped in iniquity, and conceived in sin. And we have another nature created, that's the word the Bible uses, created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we have these two natures. And this nature, Paul said, with this nature, I myself serve the law of God. But with this nature, the law of sin. Romans 7, the last couple of verses. So we've got this conflict going on all the time. But praise God, there is a conflict. Because if it wasn't for this new nature, there would be no conflict. Right. Because what in the world would fight your flesh? That's it. You love your flesh. You love what your flesh, flesh suggests. 
Your flesh loves the world and your flesh loves the devil. It follows the prince of the power of the air in the course of this world. And it is by nature just like the children of wrath, which means they're going to be under God's wrath for eternity. It's just like that. But praise be to God, there's a conflict. And I know the conflict frustrates us and hurts us and angers us that we cannot keep the law of God perfectly. But we can keep it. And God understands our frame because He is the one who in perfect wisdom chose to leave us here with this conflict. So we're thankful for the conflict because it proves that there is another nature within us against the law that is in our members. But ye are not in the flesh only, but in the Spirit also, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. And that is how we rightly divide the Word of God in that particular sentence. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And therefore the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives becomes very important. For the Apostle says, it is by this measure that we know whether we are Jesus Christ or not, by the presence of God in us. Those are sober words that ought to cause us to tremble. In the second half of verse 9, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. A person at Rome could not say, Well, I just haven't got the Spirit yet, but I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's impossible. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you can do so. We want to examine whether we have the Holy Spirit within us or not. Look in John chapter 16, and let us be reminded of this wonderful fact of the Holy Spirit in us. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Because God, in the New Testament, sends his Holy Spirit upon every believer upon every one of his elect. I love John 16, 7. We just, we just want to rejoice for a few minutes here in what God has done for us by indwelling us himself, by his Spirit. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The apostles were sorrowful in verse 6, and Jesus recognized that and knew that sorrow had filled their hearts, and he told them so. But though that sorrow had filled their hearts, he said, you need to understand that until I go away and ascend into heaven and sit down at God's right hand, he is not going to give me all the riches of the spoil of my victory to give to you. And one of those great riches is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. It's expedient. You should be looking at the positive aspects of me going away because it means I'm going to send you a comforter that will be with you forever. Which we started out with this morning in John chapter 14. Look at John 7. John chapter 7 to understand the timing of this great event. You know, there are those who read in Matthew 24 and Isaiah 13 and Malachi 3 and other places about the moon not shining and the sun not giving its light and the stars falling from heaven. And they say, when did that happen? It hasn't happened yet. 
And you're saying those prophecies are fulfilled, but it hasn't happened yet. And we say, oh yes, it has indeed happened. You misunderstand the apostles and prophets of the Lord using cataclysmic descriptions of events in the natural realm to describe cataclysmic events in the spiritual realm. Because the day of Pentecost was one incredible turning upside down of religious things. Never before had handmaidens universally in Christ been given gifts of the Holy Ghost. But it happened in the day of Pentecost. The gift of tongues fell upon the apostles. And then those 3,000 that were baptized, the Holy Ghost came upon them. And the whole church was full of the Holy Ghost. In days before that, the Holy Ghost only came upon a few individual, specific men that God gave the Holy Ghost to as a personal indwelling source of power and strength. Look at John 7 to see the timing described here. Jesus said in verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now we've got something in parentheses And we're going after that in parentheses. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. It wasn't until the Lord Jesus Christ was glorified in heaven, 40 days after his crucifixion, when he ascended up into heaven and was given the gift and promise of the Holy Spirit to give to the church. We're told that right here. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you want to hear more on this, go look up the sermons on the website that were preached to you a few years ago about the Holy Spirit and the different aspects of His ministry and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit that was dealt with at length. But here in Acts chapter 2, the Jews came together and saw the apostles preaching in at least 15 different languages fluently. And they said, what does this mean? Peter said, this is that that Joel prophesied. And he goes on to describe it as the sun not shining and the moon not shining, the stars falling from heaven. That's all. That's in verses 18, 19, 20. And then as he brings his sermon to a close, he says in verse 33, let's get verse 32 so that you can see the timing. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, Jesus is now glorified at God's right hand as the Holy Spirit described in John 7.39. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. This is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and New Testament promises that God by His Spirit would come upon men and dwell with them and dwell in them, that God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would make their abode with men. Unbelievable! But it's the truth of the Gospel. This is one of the mysteries of our faith, that the infinite Jehovah dwells in us. And it's a result of Jesus Christ dying for us. Because if the legal transaction had not been paid to purchase our redemption and to justify us, the Holy Spirit couldn't indwell us. 
but He indwells the sons of God and causes them to cry, Abba, Father, because legally they've been purchased and adopted as God's sons. And it's because of that He sends His Spirit into our hearts. That's how it's worded in Galatians chapter 4. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, because we're sons. Predestinated to it, Ephesians 1.5, bought and adopted by Jesus Christ's death on the cross, Galatians chapter 4, and then regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit as we're born of the Spirit of God. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If we don't have the Holy Spirit of God in us, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, we are not God's elect, and we are not Jesus Christ's sheep. This Holy Spirit is called in several places the seal of our sonship, the seal of our salvation, the seal that we're God's. We'll go to one place, and I'll show you both points that I want to make. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The same terminology is found in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 5, Galatians chapter 4, where the Holy Spirit is described as a seal. When a king wanted to show that, that paperwork was his, or a lion's den was his and could not be opened, he had a seal, which in wax would stamp. Just like we have seals of notary publics in order to confirm that this document has been properly signed and there is an eyewitness that has a sufficient bond posted and no criminal record that they can guarantee your signature. We do things similarly even yet. But the seal was a stamp in wax or in ink that this is from the desk of the king or a signet on a ring pressed into wax on paper or at the lion's den of Daniel that no man could break it because if you broke it, you weren't going to be able to duplicate it because it was crafted with enough difficulty that you couldn't counterfeit it like our money. Our money can't be counterfeited very easily, and even when it is counterfeited, anyone who knows our money can spot a counterfeit very fast. That's a seal. It means, this is mine. Don't touch it. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. This is mine. Don't touch it. The world does not know us, because it didn't know Jesus Christ, and it doesn't know Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 tells us that God has given us His Spirit so that we can discern spiritual things, unlike the worldlings around us, but they don't know Him and they don't know us. Not only is the Holy Spirit of God called a seal, meaning we are His. You know, when you take possession of something, Sometimes it said that is two-thirds of the law just to take possession of it. Well, he created us, he saved us, and he took possession of us. Are you aware of all three? He created you, he saved you, and he's dwelling in you. And that's why the apostle would reason in 1 Corinthians 6, What? Know ye not that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye 
are not your own because you've been sealed with a divine stamp from heaven that you're his. Second, he provides a performance bond and a guarantee that every promise that he's made for us, he will perform. And it's called the earnest of the spirit. An earnest payment is a performance bond. It's not really a down payment, but if your mind is... If in real transactions that's how you look at it, go ahead and call it a down payment. Earnest money is not a down payment. It's not part of the transaction price. It is often converted into part of the transaction price, but it is a performance bond, which if you do not perform by following through on that real estate transaction and buying that property, you forfeit the performance bond and the seller gets to take that performance bond because you have wasted his time and irritated him by pretending to enter into a real estate transaction that you're not going to fulfill. And it's usually 3% in our part of the country for a real estate transaction. transaction. So if you buy a $100,000 house, there's a 3% performance bond, which would be $3,000 put up front, guaranteeing that you're going to follow through on the contract because the seller has likely lifted his house from off the market and it might take four weeks, eight weeks, or 12 weeks for these slow banks to do their paperwork and get a mortgage on that house. But that's an earnest. I am in earnest. I am serious. I will perform what I have said I would perform. Ephesians chapter 1. Praise God for what he has done for his children. You know what verses 3 through 12 describe. It describes our election, adoption, predestination, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace and the good pleasure of his will who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, as verse 11 describes. But I want verses 13 and 14. In whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, the last noun in verse 12, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Praise God for those two wonderful verses. The Holy Spirit is the seal that we are the saved children of God, and it is the earnest that God is going to perform all of His promises right down to the redemption of the purchased possession. And the purchased possession is your body. Body, soul, and spirit will end up in heaven because Jesus Christ died to purchase all three. They are His possession. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. What a gospel. Amen. What a gospel. Jehovah has taken me. He created me. He saved me. He bought me. He adopted me. He's possessed me. He's in me. He's with me. He abides with me. He'll never leave me. I'm always His. I shall always be His. This is the glorious message of the gospel. And if you don't have that spirit, you're none of Christ. Because Jesus Christ secured this for every one of the elect. Now it must happen in time. Because you have to have existence for this phase of salvation. You don't need existence for election. God knew He was going to create you. 
Jesus Christ didn't even exist when election took place in his human nature. But we were chosen in Christ before the world began. Our names were written in the book of life. When Jesus died on the cross, we didn't even have existence yet. But God in his covenant was going to give us existence. And he can call those things which be not as though they were. And Jesus died for us. But then during our lives, when we have this sin nature from our first birth, God the Holy Spirit comes and creates in us a second nature. Then we have Christ in us by His Spirit, by a regenerated new man. When we believe the gospel, I hope you notice what we read, that after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit then bears witness within us, shedding abroad the love of God in our hearts, that we are His. We are then sealed, Abba, Father. There is a change that comes over us as we progress from regeneration to conversion to obedience to greater obedience. The Spirit of God shines more and more through us, showing the seal and the earnest is ours. Barely regenerated? I don't want to say barely regenerated. Let's say, let's say regenerated without conversion to the gospel was Cornelius. Were there things in his life that shows that he already had the Spirit of God? Amen. But when he heard the gospel from Peter, and when he believed that gospel, did something additional happen? Yeah, the Holy Spirit came on him in power, and he and the Gentiles that were with him began speaking in tongues. We don't speak in tongues after the apostolic generation, but we have a greater measure given to us upon faith and baptism, and then upon obedience. And every time you disobey and you do not confess your sins, you lose part of that influence of the Holy Spirit of God. If you're living in the flesh and we're around you, we can tell that there's a lack of joy, a lack of peace, a lack of love, a lack of gentleness. And what that indicates is that the Spirit of God is quenched in your life and the seal and the earnest is not as visible as it once was. Romans 8. Romans 8. There are other verses that I could turn to, but Ephesians 1 has them both together. The seal and the earnest. What a wonderful thing God has done for us to know that we have eternal life and given us the power to live like it. That's why in the last part of verse 9, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What a source of power. When the Spirit of God came upon Othniel, you haven't read about Othniel in the book of Judges? He wrought a great victory for Israel and judged Israel. But it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It came upon Gideon. It came upon Jeph. Gideon didn't really like to go to battle when the odds were a hundred to one against him. It made him nervous. And yet when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he went to battle without pulling his sword. The Lord changes men by the power of the Spirit, and he changes us. And if our lives aren't changed as much as they should be, if there isn't as much love, mercy, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance in our lives as there should be, it's a lack of the Spirit of God. We have quenched and grieved that Spirit. That same power is available now for every one of us. Not to perform miracles unless you consider you being gracious a miracle. I do. 
I'm a selfish pig by nature. And if any of you want to say amen to that, I'm going to say, and so are you. That's why I know. I'm a selfish pig by nature, and any graciousness that comes out of me is a miracle. I'd rather be gracious than speak in tongues. And the Holy Spirit would need to exert more power to make me gracious than to speak in tongues. This can work rather easily. Do you follow me? It is a miracle. He changes us. We need to move on. Verse 10. I just want you to rejoice in what is inside you. And I don't want to say that that way. Who is inside you? We tend to think that the Holy Spirit is the force. That the Holy Spirit is a thing. But the Holy Spirit is God himself. It's Jesus Christ. Because what does verse 10 say? Look at the first few words. And if Christ be in you. And if Christ be in you. Jesus Christ, where is he? He is seated right now in his human body on the right hand of God. But in his divine nature, he is in us. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1. Christ in us. The Lord of Lords. The King of Kings. In us. Jehovah in us. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. Here we are, two natures, one wrapped up in our body, the other wrapped up in the Holy Spirit of God. These two natures that fight within us. And if Christ be in you, if you're one of God's elect and you're one of Jesus Christ's sheep, and then Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit, the body is dead because of sin. Now were the Romans dead? Was Paul sending this epistle to a cemetery? Or were their bodies still alive? Their bodies were still alive. In what sense were their bodies dead? There was a law of sin and death in those bodies that was going to take those bodies down. These two natures, this one, and the body that contains it, the law that is in my members, the members of his body, must die. This one is the spirit of is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. You have two natures, one tied up and closely connected to your physical body, the lusts of your body, the lusts of your flesh, the pride of life of your old man. All wrapped up here. It's got the law of sin and death in it. It's going down. It will be destroyed. It will die. Because God is going to free you from it through death. But you also have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So in your new man, you have a principle of life that will live forever. Your spirit, at the moment of death, will go straight to be in the presence of God. And it is connected to the spirit of God that created it, inhabits it, helps it, strengthens it, and will never lose it. We've got these two natures, one described here as the body that contains it, one described here by the Holy Spirit that empowers it. If Christ be in you, the body is under the penalty and sentence of death because of sin. That's the sense of that clause. But the Spirit is the promise of eternal life because of righteousness. And that's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ applied to us, imputed to us, that guarantees our future eternal life. 
If we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and are His sheep, the Spirit of God is in us. And if the Spirit of God is in us, we have a, an old man that is going to die, and we have a new man that is going to live forever. The old man is part of our body. The new man is a creation of the Spirit of God. A once-born man is going to die the second death, and it's an eternal death. A twice-born man will not die the second death, and he'll live forever. John would write it this way, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. Revelation 20 and verse 6. And that resurrection that's described there is regeneration. The first resurrection that a man needs is regeneration or resurrection of his spirit so that he has a new nature. And a man that's been born again, he'll have no second death. Blessed and holy is he. Thank you, Lord. Now, we're not a once-born man. We're a twice-born man. So we've got these two natures. One, sentenced to die, and you should be thankful. Everything that pulls at you and pulls you down from keeping God's commandments perfectly, from enjoying God's peace, joy, rejoicing perfectly, that keeps you from bearing the fruit of the Spirit perfectly, it's all tied up in your body, and it will die with your body. If we had our hearts right, bodily death is a blessing. The Lord could have saved us from bodily death easily, but he chose to leave our flesh in there, the nature of our flesh. All the sins of that body have been paid for. But it is going to die and free us from that nature. And we have a new man that has the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in it. As soon as we die, we know that we have eternal life because we'll be in the presence of God. Instantly. Jesus told the thief that today thou shalt be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The apostle Paul taught us. But there's more. There's more. That's why there's a but. Opening up verse 11. But if the Spirit... Now, why would we have a disjunctive starting verse 11? Because we have read about a sentence of death in our bodies in verse 10. That these these bodies are part of us. You know, we're body, soul, and spirit beings. This body is part of us. It's part of you, and it's going to be in heaven. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Right now, I just want you to know that your body has a sentence of death in it. Because that's what it said in verse 10. The body is dead because of sin. Not literally dead, because the Romans weren't yet dead. But under a sentence of death, because it was it, it was going to die, and it had to die, because it had the law of sin in its members. But is set in distinction against that. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now all of that was to say in a long sentence, you have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Holy Spirit of God raised up the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ And He is going to raise up your dead bodies. And that is why we know that the body 
in verse 10 is your mortal body, your physical body, because verse 11 tells us so. Some will make the body, they're the body of our sins. But it's not, it's your physical body that in its members has the law of sin and death. Because verse 11 is all about physical bodies. Jesus Christ, when he died, what happened? His body remained in the cross, was taken down by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, and placed into Joseph's tomb. His spirit instantly went into the presence of God. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit as he died. He told the thief, today, not 40 days from now when I ascend, but today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now the Holy Spirit of God did that. The Bible tells us it was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that quickened the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ and raised it up. That Spirit is in us. Are we joint heirs with Jesus Christ? Are we His? Never to be lost? Did He say He would not lose any of them? That Spirit is in us. And that Spirit is part of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We shall live forever because God is in us and He is an immortal being. I don't, I don't know how to describe the glory of these verses. I know you want to get to the corruption of the world and the creation groans and travail and pain. And you want to get to predestination at the end of the chapter and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and all things work together for good. But do you know why they all work together for good? Because God is in you. God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is in you. He cannot die. He will not let your spirit die. Your spirit's going to be with the Lord the instant your body dies. But He's going to come back and resurrect your body just like He resurrected the body of the Lord Jesus Christ 72 hours after He died. Praise the Lord. That's verse 11. And it starts out with but because there's a sentence of death still upon God's elect in the middle of verse 10 on your body. But Jesus Christ purchased your body. What? Know ye not that your... Help me, I just forgot. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what does it say? What? Know ye not that your bodies... I hadn't forgotten. But I need you to help me sometimes. Bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Jesus bought our bodies. And that's what verse 11 is all about. You want to talk about the blessings of the Holy Spirit of God? You are not limited to the flesh. Verse 9, you can live a spirit-led life if you choose to do so by the Spirit of God. And though you have a law of death in your body, that body is going to die and leave its sin nature behind. And Jesus Christ is going to come back and gather that body up in all of its cells and put it together in the way that he has chosen. It's going to be a spiritual body, glorified without that old sin nature in it. The law of your members in heaven will be pure righteousness and singing praise to Jesus Christ for the entirety of eternity. Right. Verse 12, therefore, should there be a therefore about now? After all he's done for us, giving us his presence, saving us, helping us with strength to live a spirit-led life, granting life to our spirits to be with heaven in, in heaven with God forever and actually to raise up our dead bodies. Therefore, verse 12, brethren, we are debtors. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1 of this chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That is the evidence of our eternal life. And we have every motive that God could have ever given us to live after the Spirit of God instead of the flesh. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. And elliptically understood, but to live after the Spirit. We are debtors to live a Spirit-led life, minding the things of the Spirit, setting our affection on the things of the Spirit of God, because of all that's been done for us between verses 1 and 11. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. No wonder Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, now listen very carefully. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, I know it's, it's the 20th time I've quoted it to you in the last year, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through Oh, sanctification of the Spirit, setting us apart and making us holy for God's presence and use. Sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Second Thessalonians 2.13. Does that match up with this right here? Talking about the Spirit of God, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. He doesn't need to say, but to the Spirit, to live after the Spirit, because that should be understood from the context. And he says it in the next verse. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Fleshly living, like every one of our neighbors, is the path to hell. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Notice. It's through the Spirit you are able to mortify the deeds of the body. That body that has fleshly members, and those fleshly members are 17 sins described in Galatians 5, 17 through 19, or 19 through 21. The Spirit of God gives you the power to deny those 17 things and to live righteously. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If we just have a fleshly existence, satisfying our bodies, satisfying our minds, satisfying the world, following the world, following the devil, that's the evidence of reprobation and an eternity in hell. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. This is speaking about our eternal destiny. That is the evidence that you give. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You already have the Spirit. That means you're already God's elect. That means Christ already died for you in order to purchase the Holy Spirit for you. He's already adopted you. But how do you know? How do you know that you're one of Christ? How do you know that you have the Spirit in you? Because if you don't have the Spirit in you, you're none of Christ. You're not His. How do you know? By walking after Him. If ye live, what is your lifestyle like? For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, and this is, this is the only way to do it, you put to death, which is to mortify your flesh, ye shall live. 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That is how we define salvation in this church. This is how the gospel of the New Testament defines salvation. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. That means where the Spirit of God goes, you follow because you are following the Spirit. You mind His things. As verses 5 and 6 told us. It's the mindset of the things of the Spirit of God are the most important to me, and that's what I do. So you're following Him, so you have a lifestyle of spiritual things. That is the evidence that you have the Spirit of God in you because you're doing His things. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, you are a son of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. There is only one Spirit that would cause you to mortify your flesh. To put to death the things you like. To put to death the things you crave. To put to death the things you want. The Spirit of God. And when a man is able to put down the things that he desires, and he himself can know it, and others can perceive it, and instead he chooses to do those things that are spiritual in nature, heavenly oriented, Christ honoring, against those things, it's a huge difference. You know he's a son of God. That is what Romans 8 teaches us. We're twice born. We have two natures. We need to mortify this one, put to death our old man, and we need to give this one full reign in our life. And if you haven't confessed your sins, this one is weakened. This is this one by the Spirit of God is quenched and grieved. This one is strengthened because you're feeding it the lust of your flesh. You're supplying it thoughts in your mind. You're supplying it opportunities to engage itself in sin. You can starve this one to death by cutting off opportunities for it, and you can fill this one with the Word of God, with prayer, with fellowship with saints, and you'll be strengthened in your inner man. And prayer for it. And by the Spirit, you're able to mortify this one. This one can get stronger. This one can get weaker. You'll be obvious to everyone that you are indeed a son of God. But the one that counts the most is yourself. For you to know that you're a son of God is to do that. And the more you do that, Romans 5, 5 tells us the love of God is shed abroad in your hearts by the Spirit which is given unto us. And you'll be crying, Abba, Father, and you'll know that God is your Father and Christ is your Savior, and you can't wait to be in heaven with Him. The more you feed this one, you'll sit in church and wish you weren't there because you wish you were out satisfying the lust of your flesh because you will have stunted this one that loves the praise of the saints and the fellowship of the saints. It's this conflict we live in, brethren. But the passage wants to tell you, you're a twice-born man. You have the Spirit of God in you. And the Spirit of God is even going to raise up your mortal body someday soon. Therefore, we are debtors. Therefore, we are debtors. Not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. But to the Spirit. To live after the Spirit. May God bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.